0: You're listening to an Axe Church Sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axcamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the sermon. This morning I get to talk to you about my favorite passage of scripture, my favorite story. And it's it's my favorite because the grace of God is seen through this, and, and I'm, I'm not going to promise there's going to be any great new insight that I'm going to teach you if you've been in the church for a while, but what I'm hoping is that it could also be a reminder of what God has done for us, and sometimes it can be hard in this world to see things the way God sees things. It can be hard sometimes. Sometimes. And so the title of the sermon is A Crash Dinner Party or a Lunch or a Luncheon or whatever. And it starts off in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and re- reclined at the table. So Jesus was invited um, to dine with a Pharisee. And I, I did some research on this because. How in the world does a, you know, we, we, normally when we're in a dining situation, we're seated on chairs and everything, but they were on couches, and they would lay down, and their feet would be facing outward. And in, this, in the culture, there could be passerbys that could hear the conversation that was going on. And so Jesus was invited, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And one thing that I appreciate about Scripture, among many things, is It's honest. When it says this woman was a sinner, this woman was what? A sinner. And when she learned that he was your kind at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought him an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, Last night, uh, well, actually, let me go back. I was at Starbucks yesterday afternoon, of course. And I was putting the finishing touches, and I said, you know, and I thought of an instance. Have you ever been in a place where you were nervous about walking into a room? Anybody ever been there? My first year of my sophomore year My first year of high school, sophomore year, my Aunt Mickey dropped me off to the counselors at 7.30 at Evergreen High School. And by the time I got out getting my new schedule, it was like 9.30, 10 o'clock. And it was halfway through like third or fourth period, I don't remember. And I was supposed to walk into this classroom on the first day of school as a brand new student, not knowing anybody. Um, I wasn't gonna do that. So I basically played hide and seek with security for an hour. And I actually hid in the bathroom. I climbed up on a stall so they couldn't see my feet dangling. I hid in the library by the bookshelves and everything. I did not want to walk into that room in the middle of a period. I was afraid. I remember that day. I also remember that day eating lunch by myself in the lunchroom. And I remember that I opened up the sack lunch and my Aunt Mickey, and I was not a believer at the time, but she wrote me a little note. She says, Jesus loves you and he's with you on this day. And I told my Aunt Mickey, the night I got saved, on a Monday night, it was a Monday night football game between Denver and San Francisco, and I remember that um, because I didn't like Denver. Um, And I was a 49ers fan, but that, you gotta remember, that's before Seattle switched to the NFC West. So now I don't like the 49ers. No offense if there's a 49ers fan. But I remember that night and I got saved and I'm just, you know, ecstatic, worshiping the Lord. And the first person I called was my Aunt Mickey at 2.30 in the morning because I knew she'd be up. And I called her and I said, you know, those notes you wrote me had a huge impact in my life. But on that first day of my sophomore year, those were two things that stand out. And could you imagine at a Pharisee's house, the religious leaders of the day are dining with Jesus and you're this woman and you're a sinner and everybody knows it. Could you imagine the courage it took to walk into that setting full of holy people and then do something of complete humility? Could you imagine But she did. (coughs) Excuse me. I looked up alabaster jar of perfume. And um, sorry, I got something in my throat. (coughs) And four, I've always, whenever I've, I've talked about this passage, I've always focused on the costliness of the perfume. But as I was doing reading, the jar itself was extremely costly. And this woman probably used this jar in her profession. She probably used this jar to cause there to be sweet smells in her profession. She was a sinner, and she was of, you know, very, very little repute in the community. This alabaster jar of perfume was so expensive, it probably cost her months of wages to have. Could you imagine you have something so dear to you and all of a sudden it doesn't seem that dear that you're going to give it away? So she walks in and she starts wiping her feet, kissing Jesus' feet, washing him with her hair and doing all this. Now, verse 39, Luke 7, 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had lived who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, you can almost hear the sneering, if this man were a prophet, he's thinking to himself, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Who is a sinner? You know, our culture doesn't use that word very often anymore. You know, we downplay... Sin, we call them mistakes, whatever, lapse of judgment, but who is a sinner? I'd like to take us through a little bit of scripture here, and then I would like to get to something so important that, man, as a believer, it just rocks my socks. Exodus 20, 12 through 17 is part of the Ten Commandments. And it starts off with, honor your father and your mother. Verse 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Simon, the Pharisee, said this woman is a sinner. But what Simon didn't see, he didn't see himself in that position. And in the Ten Commandments, how many have heard the Ten Commandments before? Okay. I may have seen the movie When Charlton Heston Came Down the Mountain And everything like that I'm telling you If Moses doesn't look like that I'm going to be disappointed Uh, (laughs) And I was reading a, A while ago A book called True Spirituality By Dr. Francis Schaeffer And he pointed something out About the law The Ten Commandments That really caused me To pause and think And this is what he pointed out That when you break One commandment You've broken two commandments. Let me explain. Let me show you what Jesus did with this. Do you see the one on verse 14? You shall not commit adultery. Now, the Pharisees of that time had interpreted that, you know, about having an affair with someone who's not your wife. This is what Jesus interpreted it as. Matthew 5 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not the act. It was another one of the commandments. And I have a diagram here to show that you have nine commandments and they surround the 10th. The 10th commandment says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything that your neighbor has. So you see, coveting is an inside thing. Look, thou shalt not steal. If I steal from somebody, what have I already done in my heart though first? I coveted. I wanted something that wasn't mine. The Ten Commandments draws out of me and draws a conclusion that I am a sinner. And let me show you, let me tell you a story. And I actually called my son this morning to get permission to use this story to protect the guilty. And he called up this morning, about 6.30 in the morning, John, what? Can I use that story about you and the Oreo cookies? Oh. Yes. Go back to sleep, John. Fine. And that was the end of the conversation. When my son was about two years old, I was, um, we were at my mom's house, and my back was facing the kitchen, and behind the kitchen was a long row of cabinets. And inside, at the end of the cabinet, my mom always stuck cookies. Oreos. And John goes, Dad, can I have an Oreo? And I said, No. Honor your father and your what? I turned my back and I heard a little pitter patter of the feet. And I went, No, he is not. I hear the cupboard door open, had a very distinct squeak. I know because I've gotten into the Oreos myself. I hear the cellophane, the rustling of the paper, and I know exactly what he's doing. And immediately I was going to say, I was going to say, John, but I said, no, let's let this play out. Because for the first time in my life, I realized that I was the one that was not in trouble. <laughs> I felt like a parent, it was a moment of great enlightenment. And I let a few minutes go by, and I know that he is thoroughly enjoying his, um, his feast. And then finally I said, Son, and I hear the cupboard slam. And I almost felt like God in the Garden of Eden. Son, did you eat from the cookie I commanded you not to eat from? <laughs> I said, Son, did you eat those Oreos? He goes, No, Daddy. So I went over and I picked them up. And I um, took him to a mirror, (laughs) and I held up my son, and he looked into the mirror, and the joy that was on his face dissolved into utter fear. See, Oreos leave a very distinctive (laughs) ring around your face, and he had finally concluded that he was busted. And uh, we had a long conversation, and I I don't want to go into any details. But let's think through what this action represents. My son got into something. He, he, He wanted the cookies. But what did he really covet? What he really coveted was my position of power. Does that make sense? He wanted to be what in that sense? The boss. And yet... In his position of life, he was under my authority. Can you see there? My, and by the way, we laugh about it because how many of us are parents? How many of us have seen this play out on a multiple of scales? It's human nature, isn't it? You see, folks, here's the deal. We steal, we kill, we do all those things because that is the fallen nature That resulted from the curse of the fall of Adam and Eve. Let me me show you a a passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, the apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You want to know the truth? We live in a zombie apocalypse. People who don't know Christ are walking around dead in their sins. They're fallen creatures. Notice what the scriptures say. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh, desires, coveting, and of the mind, and we're by nature children of what? Wrath, even as the rest. Now, have you ever been a part of a conversation where someone starts out with something positive to say to you and then they say, but? You ever been a part of those? Well, this flip it around. Here's the bad news, here's the good news, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to tell you, I am very thankful for the word but there. And be excited about that. But you know what? The gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand, the gospel is more than just forgiveness of sins. God is doing something even greater in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, given a new creature, a new spirit, so that I don't have to sin anymore. I am no longer a part of the zombie apocalypse. God has made me alive in Christ. And if you're in Christ, He has made you what? Alive. He is transforming us. And when this is all said and done and we breathe for the first time sin-free air. No more enemy of our soul. No more temptations from our fallen flesh. No more pressures from a fallen world. But we breathe sin-free air. I'm going to tell you this right now. I am very thankful I'm at Acts Church. I'm very thankful And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm very thankful that my family and I myself are going through this journey with you all. I am very thankful because many of you in my lives have said keep pressing on, keep going towards the high calling we're going through this life together and there's going to come a day in which we have that great reunion in the kingdom and we're going to look back and say along like C.S. Lewis those were shadow lands and God was doing great things when everything is revealed but i want to tell you this if you don't know Christ if you are not trusting him with your very life do you want to stay trapped in sin Or do you want freedom? Let's continue with the story. Luke 7, 39, going back to where I took off. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is, touching him, that she is a sinner. Was she a sinner? Yes. Yes was Simon. Now I want you to notice here, in the culture of this day, Simon's up here, culturally speaking, and the woman is where? She's down here. Do you know in that day, does anybody know anybody who has the gift of hospitality? You walk into their home and they shower you with food and drink. And they they treat you with your creature comforts, right? Well, here's some creature comforts in the day of Jesus that was culturally customary. You invite someone into your home, you wash their feet. Because they walk around without socks. And we don't think of this very often But in U.S. history, there used to be a job that I'm very thankful is no longer employed called muckrakers. And their job was to go out to the streets before they were paved and rake the muck. Out. Because why? The streets were dirt and they were full of animal waste and all kinds of nastiness, and when it got dry with the dust and everything. I mean, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this because it's being recorded, but toe jam was a real thing. <laughs> you walked around. It was, it was rough. We don't do that. In fact, in our culture, if someone walks in without permission from the host and takes off their shoes, that could be offensive, couldn't it? Especially if I take off my shoes. <laughs> I heard that. (laughs) And um, I knew I'd get an amen out of her. All right. So you also were anointed with oil. You were kissed as a greeting. Simon invited Jesus into his home. And Simon did none of that. And here's the thing as I was reading through the different commentaries. See, that was culturally customary. Who else saw that Simon did not do that? All the other guests. And who is Jesus? The Son of God, who is eating at this dinner, and Simon provided none of that, and embarges in this woman with courage, And can we honestly say a little bit of desperation? And what does she do? She provides all of the cultural things that Simon did not. And Simon's sitting there looking at it saying, well, this woman's a sinner. I'm not that. And it continues. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon goes and he replies, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And a denarii was like a day's wages. And when they were unable to repay, he he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she is, But since the time I've come in has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Now, at this point, Jesus has said to Simon, Simon, you were rude to me. But this woman wasn't. And then Jesus, still speaking, for this reason I say to you, her sins... And notice what it says next, which are many, have been what? Forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. This phrase, but he who is forgiven little loves little, has stuck with me for a long time. I know this. The depth of the grace of God to forgive the sins of this individual, he has forgiven much. When I understood, thou shalt not covet, and I understood, I, look, I've never murdered anybody physically but have I ever had murder in my heart? Have I ever been so angry with a person? And on and on and on. How much has God forgiven you? How much has he forgiven me? If we dwell on the grace of God, of what he's done for us, how Lindsay came up with an acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at what? Christ's expense. Not only did God see fit to forgive all of my crimes, all of the things that in my fallen nature, but he's given me a new heart. Can I just tell you a brief little story in my own life? When I was younger and I was first starting off in the faith, boy, did I... Um, let, me, let me ask you this. Maybe I'm, a, I'm the only one. I, I, I don't think so. But am I the only one that has um, sometimes messed up after they became a believer? Am I the only one that's ever done that? Anybody else with me on this? Okay, uh, good. Well, not, not good. Because I don't wish that on any anyway. So I have found myself as the Lord has restored my life. And this is, I I gotta tell you, what a good God. There are certain areas in my life where at my first beginning of walking and serving him, I didn't succeed very well. In fact, I, I failed. And you know what God does? He has circled me back to those same instances and now says son I'm giving you another chance walk with me has he ever done that does it all the time do you realize God's riches at Christ's expense do you realize that we can go into the very throne room of God anytime that he looks at us and he does not see what we've done One of my favorite scriptures, as far as the east is from the west, God has separated our transgressions. Why didn't he say north to south? Very important. Because if you go north long enough, you'll catch up with the south. But you can go east or west as long as you want. You'll never catch up with the other. Do you see it? You're going going from the east or west. You head east, you're going to head east Around this globe forever, but if you go north and south, you're eventually going to switch. You see the imagery there that God has done. But let me talk to you one other thing, too. You know this woman? Culturally speaking, she was down here and Simon, a Pharisee, was up here. How did God see it? How did God see it? Where was the woman? She was up here. Where was Simon? He was down here. Did Simon need Jesus? Was Simon a sinner? Now, if you were Simon and you saw this whole thing play out, we don't know from Scripture whether Simon ever took to heart what Jesus was teaching or understood this encounter. But you know, I often think about this in the woman. Why would she be drawn to Jesus? You know, she probably had heard his sayings like, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. She probably says, I've got nothing to lose. And notice here, verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins have been what? Forgiven. Hallelujah. And notice what did Scripture say? Her sins which were what? Which were many. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? God. The Son of God. Do you remember another parable where they come to him and Jesus has got a paralytic in front of him? And he says, which is easier to say, Jesus says to him, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and be healed and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, rise, get up, and walk. And the man did. Her sins were what? Forgiven. Forgiven. And then he said this, your faith, and then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in what? Go in peace. Man. Could you imagine what went through that woman on that day? She wakes up. She hears Jesus is going to be at this house. She's in desperation in her soul. She's in fear. She's going to walk into the one place that, she, that she's going to be looked at with looks of disgust. She knows what she's done. She probably has a self esteem. Yeah, you probably can't measure it or measure it by negative numbers. And she looks around and she says, What what do I have to give to him? And she looks at her most, probably her most prized possession. And by the way, that prized possession was an instrument by which she made her livelihood. So she's not only taking, she's not only taking a prized possession, but she's probably taking the instrument of what she makes her living that she needs. And she says, I'll do this. And what will I do? I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna go to his feet and I'm gonna just throw myself at the mercy of this prophet for I know who I am. And she goes in there through all the sneering looks and she goes down and she does that and she just lays everything out, completely sold out to this prophet, this Jesus of Nazareth. She holds nothing back. Fear can't keep her back. Desperation can't. She just, nothing. I'm going to give it all to him. Because in the end, I need a savior. And then she goes through that. She hears the exchange of Jesus with Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. 50 denarii, 500 denarii. She hears all the discussion. And she's just there pleading her case. And then Jesus turns to her. And he speaks to her. And listen, this is so important. This is a woman. Women weren't held to the same equality of men. Does that make sense? Christianity has lifted all people up. And she looks at the woman, and he says, woman, your sins, and their many, are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And when she went to bed that night, her whole world had been turned upside down because she met the Master. Folks, When you speak to people that don't know Christ, do they need to know the desperation that they're in? Do they need to know that they need a savior? Why would we want to stay in our fallen natures when perfect peace and pardon is available to us? Share the gospel. It is good news. And those that know Christ... Have we all been that woman? Have we all, if we know Christ, have we come to him? And what has the Lord said? Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Go in what? Peace. You're at peace with my Father. You're at peace with the creator of the universe. And then go and love one another as you have been loved and share the good news. I look forward to one day meeting that woman. And I'm gonna tell her thank you. Thank you for having the courage because your story has ministered to me many, many times. And I'm going to tell you this. As a believer, is it possible to get entangled in sin again? Is it possible? If you're entangled in sin right now, find one of the elders, confess and go to the feet of Jesus. Confess your sins and he will what? He will forgive you because it's God's riches at Christ's expense. I will say this. Is sin serious business? Yes, it is. It took the death of the Son of God to do all of this. And the resurrection is proof of it. But go, just go, just go to his feet. Make your peace with God. He wants nothing more than to lavish on you and say, my child, go ahead and begin again. If you're holding back something from serving the Lord in this life, what is this life? What matters in this life? What matters in this life is eternity. eternity. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe and Lord and Savior, what matters in this life? He is everything. Hold nothing back. Be sold out. Glenn, be sold out. Isn't he a good God? And I'll close with this. When I held my son up to the mirror, And John realized he was, well, guilty. He looked at me and his face crumpled. And then he looked at me and he says, Daddy, I'm sorry. And we had a father-son moment. How much does God love us? Let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.